So this summer we've been preaching on the Sermon on the Mount. And one of the, there's two key things that go through the Sermon on the Mount. And those things actually go throughout all of Scripture. But they're really, you really see them quite plainly in the Sermon on the Mount. The first thing is, is man's or our relationship to God. And how are we to interact and how are we to approach the most holy God. Right? And the second is our relationship to our fellow human beings. And how are we supposed to interact and approach them and how are we supposed to live with them. Right? Uh, both things are present in this passage today on prayer. Now, last week, Daniel unpacked a concept and he did a great job. If you haven't heard that, go back and listen to it. On the whole concept of the audience of one. The audience of one. And when Daniel was talking, he was talking about how through our acts of prayer and through giving and through uh, fasting, that it is an act of worship. And the idea is we're not doing these things to impress others. I'm not doing these things to impress my neighbor or, or you guys, right? I'm doing these things out of an act of worship before God. Um, and, and Daniel made an outstanding point last week. Um, I have to kind of read what I paraphrased it, but he said this, how do you perform these acts uh, is reflective of what is going on in your heart. Right? If, if, if my heart is not right, I'm doing these acts for the wrong reasons. I'm doing these things for man's praise. And you know what? I won't get man's praise. There we go. Is that? Oh, there we go. Yay. I don't have to yell. Okay. All right. <clears throat> so I won't go hoarse before I'm done. Let me, let me back up here just a second. The point that Daniel made was that how we perform these acts is reflective of what's going on in our heart. Okay. And that's what we're going to find out today. We're going to look at this passage and we're going to look at two, two, two perspectives. One perspective is as a pattern for prayer. How do we approach God in prayer? But also as a pattern for how do we live our life, a pattern for living. And you'll see that's what the title is. Um, now, I have been asked before. That should we actually memorize this prayer and recite this prayer? Because really it is a pattern. It is a skeleton. It's something that we can, that we can base and model our prayers around, right? And, and so, you know, we know people that recite the Lord's Prayer and it has become a mantra. They just recite it without thinking about the words. But I would have to say, yes, we should memorize and we should recite this prayer. And the main reason is that not because I need to recite it before the beginning of a football game, or I need to recite it before I'm about to go out on a patrol. When I was in the military, we always said the Lord's Prayer before we went across the wire and went out on a patrol. And I usually would offer another prayer besides that. But it's not for those reasons. The reason we need to learn and memorize this prayer and recite it to ourselves is because we are forgetful. We are forgetful. We forget how we are to approach God. God has a manner that He wants us to approach Him in. And in our day-to-day lives, we sort of forget that, right? And I think some of that is the work of the evil one in us. He's trying to say and distract us with other things. But God has given us a passage right here that says, here's how I want you to approach me. And if you ever forget, or you're ever at the point where you say, I don't know how to pray, Lord. I don't know what to say. Open this up, read this, and then follow this model. And then you will, you will have your, your prayer life recalibrated and put back to where it's in in tune with God. 
Now, it's often said that we are, when we're praying, we're coming into the presence of God or we are approaching the throne of God, right? That's a thing that Aaron says a lot, coming into the throne of God or the throne of grace. Um, And this passage does teach us how that should happen. It teaches about the manner and the approach and the mindset that we should have as we step into the presence of God. You see, prayer is to be an outflow of the way we live our lives, right? Prayer is to be an outflow of the way we live our lives. It's not to be compartmentalized. I know that I am guilty of that. I have my prayer, my daily morning devotions. I pray before dinner. I pray in the evenings, right? But that's compartmentalizing prayer. That's not my life flowing and having prayer just flow out of my life, right? There was a theologian, John Calvin, many of you know. He used to use the phrase quorum deo, quorum deo. And in Latin, the the actual interpretation of that is literally just in the presence of God. Quorum deo means in the presence of God. But Calvin would use it a lot of times, and what he meant by it was the idea of us living in the face of God, living before the face of God, right? And so if we think of it this way, if we think of we're living our life and we think of that God's face is always right there, it really does help to focus our attention and our prayer life. And my, my goal for today is that when we come out of here, that we will see the Lord's Prayer not only as an outline for prayer, because that's what it is, but also that we'll see as an outline for how to live our life, right? So let's just dive in here a little bit. First off, there's, it's a bit of a misnomer, the Lord's Prayer. This is a prayer that the Lord Jesus Christ could never actually pray. Why is that? Because he asked for forgiveness, And our our Lord never had a reason to ask for forgiveness, right? A lot of people call this the disciples' prayer. The the true Lord's prayer, I think what most theologians would agree, is found over in John 17. And that's that's Jesus' high priestly prayer. And it's really not important, but it's just something to think about. It's it's kind of an interesting concept. But um, from the reading of it, you may have determined right away that the prayer is divided into two distinct sections, right? You have the first half and the second half. The first half of that prayer is, is focused on God and His glory. If you notice in your notes, I've listed out the six, six, six elements there, or six what we call petitions, right? The first three are definitely directed towards God, and the second three, the second half, is directed towards us and our needs, right? Um, now, another thing that has come up, too, is the, the doxology. You're going, what's the doxology? We sang the doxology this morning, and thank you, Jack. I love that. Um, but... You'll notice in a lot of your versions of the Bible that you don't see that. What is the doxology? It's that part we say that's, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen, right? Well, the reason that's not in our, in our modern text now is because it was not part of the original manuscripts, right? Some scribe came along and he thought, you know, this thing ends and deliver us from evil— done, right? So he added this little doxology, and there's nothing wrong with it. There's not, not scriptural. It is a wonderful little statement to add at the end of the prayer, but it's just not part of the original manuscripts. That's why it's not in, in our scriptures. Okay. As we pray this prayer, the opening three petitions force us to stop dwelling on ourselves. They, they take our focus, our mind off of us for just a minute, and they force us to focus back on God. Now, this is important because when we approach God, 
God doesn't want us just constantly running to him with our needs and not recognizing him for who he is. But that's what these three petitions do. They force us to to look back into God. They recalibrate our mindset about, oh, you know, I've got to get to the store. I've got to do all these other things. I've got work problems. I've got problems with my children. No, these these take our minds out of that and push us back in towards God. Um, Martin Luther used to use a statement that he said, let God be God. And what he means by that is that that we we so often we put God in a box, right? We we we've heard this said statement before that that because God is so so huge and and so gracious and so wonderful, we can't even begin to comprehend it. We're going to spend all of eternity in awe and learning more and more about God. But right now with our finite brains, we can't, we can't even begin to comprehend it. So we, we put him in a box. And this let God be God idea is saying, hey, let's expand that box. Let's keep that box growing all the time. Every day we should be expanding that box a little more and a little more and a little more. As God reveals himself to us, we start to see that there's more of him that we need to learn about, more of him that we need to know. Um, now, some, I've, I've had people say, well, I don't like that concept. I don't think that's true. I have a really good idea of God, you know, who God is. And a question you can ask yourself is, you know, do I ever worry about things I can't control? How many of us worry about the government? In, in the direction of the government. Well, we really, most of us have very little control of that, right? But who does have control of that? God, right? Most of us don't get, are not real happy about the traffic, right? And we, we complain and whine about that. So yeah, we, we that's, again, that's kind of mostly out of our control unless you're being an idiot. Um, but, but so one of the things that happens with this is that whenever I'm worrying about those things that are out of my control, that are in God's control, I have, I am decreasing that box, right? I am saying, God, I don't think you're really in control. I don't think you really know what's quite what's going on. I have a little inside information. I think I'm going to handle this for you, right? Um, I know that in my life personally, I don't ask that question so much. As my response is more that I don't think I'm going to like the answer God is going to give me. And so, you know what? I'm not going to ask him that question. I'm going to do it my way. You know, and if I don't ask him, Maybe I, maybe I can make this work right, right? Again, I have just made my box smaller. I have just taken away some of that glory that is God's and, and, and kept it for myself, right? All right, so let's just jump right into the petitions. Um, now, we start with our Father in heaven. And as, as Matt brought up this morning, that's just, it's an amazing that we can approach the God of the universe and call him Abba Father. I mean, that's just unbelievable, right? Um, that's that, that term that Jesus used, he used it every one of his prayers except one. And that, the one that he didn't use it was when he was on the cross. And he cried, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But every other prayer, Jesus always opened up calling God Abba, Father. And that's an example for us. It's a, it's it is, the term here is basically, it's, it denotes a personal relationship between a child and his parent, right? I have five kids. My kids normally call me dad. Yep, I have five. Yeah, I think, okay, I'm pointing at one of them, I don't know. Um, my kids normally call me dad, but I'll tell you what, my oldest two daughters, they have me figured out. When they come to me and they say, daddy, um, 
my wallet starts crying usually, okay? Because I know I'm going to yield and it's going to get real expensive for me, okay? Well, that's the same type of relationship God wants us to have with Him. He wants us to be able to come to Him and say, Father, I'm struggling here. I need some help. I need your guidance. I need some, some security. Um, and that's what we're looking at. But we have to be very, very careful, okay? Even though He wants us to come to Him that way, we cannot come to Him flippantly. We cannot come to him offhandedly. We have to remember, we are still talking to the God of the universe. He is still in control of the universe. And so the next, the the first petition actually kind of corrects our thinking here, right? Hallowed be thy name, right? We understand that God's name is holy. We understand that it needs to be kept holy. Hallowed is not a word we use very often. It's not a word we throw around, right? But let me ask you this. How do you feel when you hear the Lord's name being misused? Does it hurt you a little bit inside? Is it, does it cause you to pause? Let me tell you something. I was, a, I was in the military for 15 years, and I became calloused towards it because I heard it so much. I heard so much swearing and cursing and taking the name, Lord's name in vain that I literally turned it off. Now, I didn't talk that way. I didn't speak. That was not part of my language and my communication. But it was brought home to me after I had been married maybe six months or so. And my wife and I were watching a movie, and it was just full of these curse words and swear words. And she looked at me and she says, doesn't this bother you? And I went, I don't even hear it. I don't even hear it. I'm deaf to it. Okay? Don't become that way. Don't become deaf to the name of the Lord. Don't become to where you can listen to this cursing and swearing and using his name wrong and, and just let it go, especially in your own life and in your own, in your own speech patterns. Okay. Let's talk about his name when we talk about hallowed be his name. And there are so much written on it. I'm just going to read something that Martin Lloyd-Jones wrote about it that I just thought was great. It says, and what's in his name? Because his name, in other words, means all that is true of God and all that has been revealed concerning God. It means God and all of his attributes. God and all that he is in and of himself. God and all that he has done and all that he is doing. So when we're talking about that name of God, it's, it's amazing what all is encompassed there. My wife has a book at home that she's been through probably a half a dozen times. It's called The Names of God. And I think we, did we have it? I think we might have had it on our bookshelf at one time. But um, if you guys ever have the chance, I'll, I'll find out the name of it. But if you ever have a chance, read that. It's amazing the way God describes himself in Scripture. And just to do a study on how he describes himself is just unbelievable. And you, you, your brain will just be expanded. That box will be grown just doing that. So as a pattern for prayer, hallowed be thy name, we are praying that his name is going to be made holy to us as well as to the rest of the world, right? It's not that we are adding anything to his name because that's absolutely impossible. His name is his, is his magnanimous and as huge as it can possibly be, right? We're not adding to it, but we are saying, let your name be kept holy. Now, as a pattern for living, How do we look at this? Hallowed be thy name. What does that look like in my life? It means that I am sensitive to the name of God. I am sensitive in my speech patterns. I am sensitive in what people are saying around me. I had to get on some people in my office one time about 
taking the Lord's name in vain. And I just said, listen, I'd appreciate it if you wouldn't do that. I said, I, I can put up with a lot of things, but this is one I can't. And that was three years ago, and it's never happened since. So taking that stand, people, people will respect that. All right? Your kingdom come. This is talking about God's reign. First, there's two parts to this. First, there is a pr- this is a prayer for God to come and to rule in my life and, and, and work in me directly. But also, it's a prayer for God to come and to rule in all the world. All right. Um, some of this ruling through all the world, his kingdom expanding through the world, occurs through us, right? Through our, through our ministry, through our testimony. And this is what Jesus was saying at the end of Matthew in chapter 28 when he says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. This is expanding the kingdom. This is bringing more non-believers into our kingdom. Spreading the word, spreading the good news, right? We should be praying, your kingdom come in my family and in my job and in my city and in my nation as well. This is a big prayer, but we have a big God and he's capable of doing this. So as a pattern for prayer, your kingdom come, we're asking God to reign over us. And this petition is a little bit scary when we're asking God to reign over us. Because when we pray this prayer, we're saying, God, I want you to do what is necessary to uproot every sin and every impediment that hinders my obedience. Okay? I am asking God to come in and, and just dig out all of the bad stuff and expose them so that I can confess of them and I can move on and, and enjoy that relationship with Him. Now, and as a pattern for living, you know, this is me taking the cross out to my neighbors and to my family and to my friends and to my workplace. This is me trying to bring others into the kingdom or, or, or not bring others, but, but introduce others to the kingdom and that the Lord can bring them in and draw them in. Now we look at your will be done. There's a tension between in God's will and our, and our will, right? God's sovereignty and my will. There's a tension between God's faith or God's grace and my faith that, that we can't understand, right? That, that, that it's there. Sometimes we go from one, one side to the other trying to explain it or trying to maybe change the, change the meanings and definitions a little bit. But you know what? It is there. God is truly sovereign. He has a plan and it is set and it will occur. It will happen, right? But we are commanded to pray. Why? Why are we commanded to pray? That's, why are we commanded to pray? Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. If God is so sovereign and he has a plan. So the question becomes is, you know, why do I pray in the first place? What, what's the point of my prayers? If God's already, if it's already set. So um, I can't give God new information. I can't give him something that's going to change his counsel or his decisions, Right? R.C. Sproul put it this way. God doesn't have a plan B that he puts in motion. Let me back up here. God doesn't have a plan B that he puts in motion at our request. So why do we pray? We pray because it changes us. We pray also because God uses our prayers as a means to bring about the ends that he has decreed from all eternity. God commands us to pray and to do so earnestly. 
but we do not pray to instruct him or to change his counsel. So we pray because it changes us. We pray because it realigns our thoughts and our thought patterns to his. And it keeps us from, we tend to want to draw back on ourselves. It keeps us focused on him. So as a pattern of prayer, I think of it this way. Um, I personally tend to wander from God's truth and I, I get distracted from his will, from his bigger picture, his sovereign will. And by submitting to your will be done, it's a recalibration of my spiritual life is what it is. The recognition of your will be done emphasizes the idea that prayer is about conformity of my will to God's will. When I'm saying that. Now as a pattern for living, there's two things here. One, we can't look at God's will from a fatalistic perspective. We can't look at his sovereign will from a fatalistic perspective, meaning, hey, whatever will be, will be, right? That's one, that's not scriptural. We can't look at it that way from a scriptural perspective. Two, it's extremely damaging to our own prayer life and to our own obedience. Because if I take that perspective, then why do I want to pray? Now I, and I'm just corkscrewing down deeper and deeper into sin by going in that pattern. So as a pattern for living, again, we want to make sure that we are not being fatalistic about it. But two, um, the second reason is, is that we need to fight the notion that sin and disobedience are normal. Okay? Sin and disobedience are normal. They're not. God didn't design the earth this way. What, what we live in right now, even though it seems normal to us because it's all we've ever known, it's not normal, right? Death is not normal. People say he died of natural causes. No, he didn't. Sin, he died because of sin, right? That's why we all die. So it's not normal. We cannot become numb to that fact. All right, let's move on into the second set of petitions. Now that our perspective has been recalibrated and our focus is back on God, and His glory, we can now approach God about our needs and our desires. And we can do that with confidence because we know He is a great God and that He is able to provide these things. So when we pray, give us this day our daily bread, there's two parts to give us this day our daily bread. One is the element of dependence on God, and the other is an element of contentment with what God has provided. Take a sip here. Give us this day our daily bread. This pattern of prayer transitions well into a life of dependence on God for our daily needs. And this pattern of living causes us to quit depending upon our stuff that He has provided and again to depend upon Him. <clears throat> Excuse me. As some of you guys know, <coughs> um, my wife bakes bread. <clears throat> Excuse me, bakes bread. She grinds the wheat. <clears throat> And usually makes about five loaves at a time. I'll just stop here a minute. Then five loaves of bread will last us, uh, you know, two, maybe three weeks in our family. Um, but I eat that bread every day. I depend on my wife to make that bread. And I depend on it being in the, in the uh, bread basket every, you know, every morning when I go down. And when it's not there, I am not a happy person. Um, I do not like store-bought bread. I'm just letting you guys know that now. It's bland. It doesn't have any flavor. It's kind of like cardboard. But 
that's not the kind of dependence that we're talking about right here. Okay. Um, the, the question becomes, you know, how can we who have so much, who the Lord has blessed us so much, how can we pray this prayer asking for our daily bread, right? Aren't we being a little bit overly pious when we say, Lord, you know, please give me your daily bread when I've got loaves of bread and I have a car and I have a house and clothes and so forth, right? Um, the point is, is this isn't about bread. This isn't about provision or, or, or not about bread, not about stuff, but it's about living a life that recognizes our dependence upon God. That's what it's about. And his daily provision, because without, without his daily provision, I'm not taking my next breath. My heart's not going to beat another time, right? And I need to be so dependent upon God that I am content. I am thankful that he is providing that for me. Um, what, I, what I really need to learn is that this brief little petition, give us this day our daily bread, um, this petition of dependence spreads out into all of the little things in my life, all of the little areas in my life, and that I don't even have the ability within myself to use those resources that God has provided without His provision. We must realize that we are dependent upon the Lord for our very breath and for our very next heartbeat. And that's what we're praying for here. Now, the question we really should be asking when we pray this prayer is, do I really need this? When I'm coming to the Lord in prayer and requesting something, I really need to be thinking, do I really need this? Do I really need this iPhone? You know, should I be praying for, give me this day my new iPhone? Give me this day healing for my neck pain? Most of you know I struggle with neck pain. Give me this day a better job or better career. I can't answer these questions for you guys. But when we pattern our life after this, this prayer, our priorities and our desires line up with God's. And, and the things that he wants becomes the things that we want. The things that are important to him are the things that are important to us. Now, I'm not saying that we are to be ascetic monks, you know, denying all earthly possessions. There's nothing wrong with possessions, folks. Not a thing. God wants us to have nice things. He wants to, just fathers, as you want to give for your things to your children, God wants to do the same thing for us. He wants to bless us in these ways. But the Lord wants us to live a life of dependence on Him. And He desires our relationship with Him above all other possessions. He wants us to have that relationship with Him. The possessions are, are there, but that's not what's important to Him. What's important to him is that relationship that we have. So as a pattern for prayer, give us this day reminds us that we are dependent on our great provider who wants to bless us with good things. But it also reminds, reminds us to keep our desires in lines with his provisions. Forgive us our sins as we have also forgiven our debtors. This is number five. Um, this this petition, this petition can be a little bit difficult to understand. In fact, the Lord Jesus Christ knew that this would be difficult to understand, and so he expounded on it down in verses 14 and 15. So let's read those. 
Well, let's read verse 12 says this, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And then in 14, he says this, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly father will forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. And that kind of cleaned things right up, didn't it? Yeah, Um, not really. Let's unpack this just a little bit. What Jesus is saying here, in my, in my words, is if I am not actively forgiving others, if I am not actively showing forgiveness, the Lord is not going to actively be showing me forgiveness. Okay? I cannot go to Him and ask forgiveness when I have unforgiveness, when I have people that I hold a grudge against, or when I have people that I want to have some sort of a retaliation or retribution against. Okay? Um, forgiveness is that important to him. He forgave us. It, it, what happened on the cross was that Christ's blood was paid for all of the sins that we ever, we ever have committed. All the sins past, present, and future have been covered by that. We were forgiven. And so it's so important to him that we be forgiving people as well. Um, I am a person who is very slow to anger and I am quick to forgive. But there are occasions where I've been hurt deeply where it takes me some time to work through it. It takes the working of the Holy Spirit in my life to convict me and say, I really need to go forgive that person no matter what it was that they did. Okay? Time is okay. But what I am not allowed to do during that time is I'm not allowed to hold a grudge I'm not allowed to seek some sort of a of um, um, retribution during that time. No, I am commanded to go and to forgive that brother or that sister. That's a difficult thing sometimes. Look at it this way: if if you are a forgiving person, but there's somebody that that has something that that you are offended by, forgive them and move on with it. Go to them and, and just say, listen, the, the situation may not be perfectly right yet, but if there is any chance that you have to go and ask forgiveness, then go do it. Go to your brother and ask forgiveness or give forgiveness. All right? It often comes up that people say, I have been forgiven, then why do I need to pray forgiveness for daily forgiveness, right? There's, there's two parts to this answer. Why do I need to ask forgiveness every day? The first part is our, our position before God, and the second part is our relationship to God. My position before God is justified, meaning that my sins have been forgiven once and for all, and that position cannot be changed or lost. God looked at me as a judge, and he says, you are forgiven, your sins are forgiven. The second part of this is that relationship of that Abba Father relationship, right? I want to have a relationship with God. He wants to have a relationship with me. When I don't ask forgiveness, I'm damaging that Abba Father relationship. My position hasn't changed. I am not condemned. I am still viewed as justified, as righteous and holy. But I have damaged that relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and with with God. And so that's why... The Puritan spoken of keeping short accounts with God. That's why that we need to come to him daily and ask for forgiveness. So as a pattern for prayer, forgive us our debts 
keeps me on, you know, keeps me with a short account with God. But as a pattern for life, I want to have a life that has open communication with God, where there's that free flow, where I'm praying and He's and He is blessing me. Right? I don't want to damage that relationship because of sin. Remember, Peter came to Jesus one time, and, and I have to be a forgiving person. Remember, Peter came to Jesus one time and said, Lord, how often should we forgive somebody? Seven times? And Peter thought he was being magnanimous by saying seven times, right? And what did the Lord say? No, 70 times seven. And the point is, it's not about a number, folks. It's about a lifestyle. It's about a mindset of being forgiving, of saying, you know what? You've offended me, but you know what? It's okay. I forgive you. The Lord, the Lord will straighten this out. Let's look at the last petition. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So the question is, would God ever lead us into temptation? Would God ever lead us into sinning? And the answer is this. God would never entice us or solicit us into sin. But he will allow us to be tested. He knows where we're weak, right? And he knows where we need to be strengthened. And so what does he do? He puts tests and trials into our lives that cause us to be strengthened if we respond correctly to them. And the prayer, it lead us not into temptation, is really about the principle of how we're going to respond when we are tempted to sin. And what we're praying here is that God will both strengthen us and deliver us from the temptation to sin when those trials arise. There are times that God will expose us to the testing so that we may resist it and grow stronger and in our faith and grow stronger and closer to Him. And this testing is also to purify us and to focus, our, focus on our sin issues in our lives. But through all of this testing, He wants us to see that He can keep us from failing and that we can actually trust Him to deliver us when the trials do come. This testing also encourages us to take on that whole armor of God that we see in Ephesians, right? Because that's, that is our weaponry. That is what defends us. That is what we use to defend ourselves. And why are we doing this? So that, as it says in verse 13, that we can withstand the evil day and having done all to stand firm. See, the Lord knows that there are going to be some major trials and tests that come into our lives that we, in and of ourselves, are not going to be able to handle it. So we need to take on that armor and we need to know how to use that armor. I'm a, I'm a military guy, as all of you know. I used to train foreign national soldiers. And we used to devise training plans to make it as realistic as possible. But let me tell you this, there is no way to simulate combat. Okay, I can give you blanks. I can throw artillery and grenade simulators, tear gas, smoke. You know, I have a thousand things that I have at my disposal, but I cannot simulate real combat. I've trained soldiers... I've equipped them. I've given them skills. I've given them equipment. But you never know how they're going to respond until the bullets start going both ways. Okay? Now, it's, it's not like that with God. When God brings us our training and our testing, it is always effective. It's always um, purifying. But it's, it's also absolutely real. It's often painful, but it is growing us. It is making us stronger. 
it is preparing us and teaching us to trust the tools that he has given us. In a pattern for prayer, we must acknowledge that God is our deliverer and pray and trust him and the armor that he has provided us. And as a pattern for living, I need to be prepared for these tests and these temptations and these trials. I must be actively putting on the armor every day. A good soldier doesn't go off into combat without testing both his weapon and his armor. We need to do the same thing. We need to trust that armor that God has provided us. So to wrap things up this morning, the Lord's Prayer is an amazing platform that can teach us how to enter into the presence of God. And we should return to it often as a pattern for prayer and focus on it regularly as a pattern for living. When we do this, our prayers will then become that outflow of our lives as we're living our lives, Coram Deo, before the face of God. Let's close in prayer this morning. Dear Father, thank you so much for condescending to us and teaching us how to pray and how to come before you. Father, just thank you for the examples you've given. Father, I thank you for the the opportunity to dive into this passage this last two weeks. Lord, as Daniel said, this has probably been the most convicting study I've ever done personally. Father, you've revealed to me how weak my prayer life is. Father, I just pray for forgiveness and I pray that you will just strengthen me as I pray that you will strengthen all those in this room as they come to you in prayer and as they prepare to live their life before you. Father, we pray that all that we've said and done this morning in our worship and our song and our prayers brings honor and glory to your name. And in your precious son's name we pray. Amen.